Hello and welcome to Leanne Ward Nutrition, a podcast where you will find expert advice on all things health and nutrition related. Each week, we will discuss my three niche areas of gut health, emotional eating and sustainable fat loss. My hope for this podcast is to cut through the BS online and show you real, practical and evidence-based messages around nutrition so you can live your best life day in and day out. So sit tight, buckle up, and let's get started on today's podcast. Just before we jump in, today's podcast is brought to you by my premium coaching program, Lean Gut Mind Method. In this busy world, women struggle to prioritize their health and they constantly find themselves frustrated with a lack of results. Lean Gut Mind Method coaching service provides expertise, personalization, and a proven system of tools so that women find themselves empowered to live their best lives in a body that they choose. If you're a female who struggles with weight loss, emotional eating, and poor gut health, and you're ready to change once and for all, let me and my team help you. Lean Gut Mind Method is the last nutrition program you will ever need to invest in, and the first program you will see lasting results from. Let us show you the way. Apply for my premium one-on-one coaching program at www.leangutmindmethod.com. On today's podcast, we're joined by special guest, performance chef, Hannah Grant. Born in Denmark, Hannah's story started with life in the Royal Danish Navy, and after a while, a passion for cooking called her to the Culinary Institute of Copenhagen. After graduation, she worked in restaurants around the world, including the legendary Noma restaurant in Copenhagen, before she became the team chef on the Pro Cycling Tour, and just recently, she's filmed the gripping Amazon Prime series, Eat, Race, Win. On today's podcast, Hannah and I start by discussing what made her want to become a chef and how she made the leap from chef to performance-based chef. We then talk about the concept, food is fuel, your conditioning agent, and your recovery, before moving on to how she creates delicious recipes for some of the world's top athletes. She tells our listeners her top tips for creating delicious yet healthy meals at home and how to make veggies taste better. We chat about how she comes up with unique recipes for her athletes with different tastes, allergies and intolerances and requirements. Finally, we end the podcast with her connection to another special podcast guest, Dr. Stacey Sims, and how they work together to benefit their athletes. To follow Hannah on Instagram, head to at Daily Stews or check out her cookbooks on her website, which is hannahgrant.com and use the code Leanne Ward for a discount. Now let's dive into our episode today with Hannah. Welcome Hannah to the podcast today. We're very excited to have um, our own performance focused chef on chatting to us today. Thank you for having me. I'm very excited to be on as well. Well, I'd love for you to, I generally start the start of my podcast with just you telling our listeners um, a little bit more about yourself and I guess what made you interested in becoming a chef um, to begin with? Well, as, as you mentioned, I'm, I'm a trained chef and um, I, w- I graduated back in 2007 in Denmark, where I'm from. Uh, it's a four-year education. So you train uh, in a restaurant, you go to school mm-hmm. um, and it's, um, it's, it's uh, you know, it was, it was a job that I really wanted to have in order to be able to travel. And actually, when I first started, I wanted to be um, one of the best female Michelin star chefs uh, in Denmark. I wanted to go out into the world and come back bring all this uh, amazing, you know, all these amazing discoveries I had made back to my country and then make a big successful restaurant. That's the short of it. Um, but that that's sort of how I am, um, like why I wanted to become a chef to begin with. Mm-hmm. And then 
as I as I went through uh, like my education and so on, I, I sort of discovered, you know, one thing is when you're a chef and you cook food for for people in a restaurant, it's all about satisfaction. It has to taste good, has to look good, you know, it has to hit the spots with everything. Yeah. But for me, that was like the dimension was was getting a little bit like mm, I thought it was uh, quote unquote easy to do that. But I thought, well, if food can do more for you, if you can think about how you put food together. This can be a lot more interesting. So when I was going through my education, I, I sort of started picking up this whole nutritional interest in, in food as well. Um, and, and those two things obviously grew together as I, as I graduated. So yeah, picking that up um, as I went and that, that sort of spiraled me in after working in Michelin star restaurants into working with athletes. It was it was pretty crazy. The first job that I got with athletes was on a kiteboarding expedition boat. Wow. So we sailed, yeah, we sailed across the the South Pacific, um, and we had pro kiteboarders and surfers on board. And this was the first time I had to combine um, really delicious, amazing, beautiful Michelin star type food with the needs of athletes and. Most people who know uh, athletes or are athletes themselves will know that the amount of food they eat, it's crazy. So the, <laughs> yeah. the, the two things combining like the Michelin star type aesthetics and fine dine with like enormous amounts was, you know, that was a mind blowing thing to me. But also the thing that depending on what I serve, they would have their day would basically change their energy levels and everything would change depending on what what they ate. So that was the first thing that kind of sparked it to me. I was like, wow, this is amazing, right? You can really do things with food. So that that's um that was sort of sort of the first intro to um to the working with with athletes. But but at that time, you know, I was still kind of thinking, I'm gonna do Michelin star food. And uh, so I went back to Denmark and I worked at Noma, which is which was the number one restaurant in the world uh, for three years. Mm-hmm. And um in the years that I worked there, it was sort of like this, you know, you have to find purpose in what you do. And the purpose for me, and, you know, as a chef, it's so much hard work. So the purpose for me was, you know, not just making beautiful food, but I really had to give it meaning and purpose. Mm-hmm. Um, so actually, I wanted to study nutrition and I wanted to, to become a dietitian. Um, but, you know, being a one-man band is a hard thing. Being the practical thing with the hands, the creativity, the execution, and the theory and the brains and the science, you know, that's really, really difficult. Um, and I would have been probably 55 by the end of the time, you know, graduating <laughs> as a chef and as a dietitian. Um, so so that's sort of like, um, that was sort of like the thoughts at that point. Um I'm already talking, I'm like, I'm talking, giving you the longest explanation ever. No, um, I love it. But, I love it. <laughs> yeah. But like, so, um, so working at Noma, you know, this was, this was the sort of like the tipping point for me. So when you work at the a Michelin star restaurant, this was the number one restaurant in the world. You work from seven in the morning till, you know, one, two in the night, wow. you barely sleep, you know, it's, it's, it's long, long, long hours. Your body's aching, you're tired. And obviously, as you don't sleep and believe it or not, you don't eat very well either when you mm. work in a restaurant because it's all, you know, it's just work, 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 work. And you just try and eat like on the go. Um, and then one day I remember in the walk-in fridge, you know, I had just organized everything and a stagiaire. So people who would come to work for free basically came in and like 
smashed up my whole system. And I just like, I basically like lost and I was like, I can't do this. I can't keep on doing this. It makes no sense to me. So that was like the tipping point of, you know, I felt like it was groundhog day. And the tipping point was, okay, I gotta, I gotta move on to something that gives me purpose. And that makes me feel like I can give something to people that will change what they do. Mm. Um, so yeah, so actually, so then I applied to university a little bit ignorant, <laughs> thinking that I could um, work and uh, pay my bills working as a chef uh, and study at the same time. Obviously, that that didn't go on for very long. You know, uh, couldn't get up in the mornings, couldn't do my you know, couldn't do my studies and so on, and working at the same time. Um, so so that 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 kind of that was that was difficult. So I was looking for a job to. Uh, basically to work um, next to the studies. And I asked my old sous chef uh, from Noma, I said, do you have a job where, you know, do you know of anything where I can work very focused and concentrated and do my studies next to it? And he's like, mm, I'll ask around. And he called me back 15 minutes later and he said, you know, there's a cycling team They're looking for a chef. I'm like, whoa, this is amazing. I'm like, it's everything I love. It's traveling, it's nutrition, it's food. And it's the whole performance aspect of things. Mm. Um, so that was sort of the start um, of it. Uh, completely by chance, been thrown in, uh, was thrown into the world of top, top, top performance and top athletes, um, and had to like find my way and my and like find my you know place in that world um, without knowing anything about cycling. Yeah, I was going to say, because I obviously don't, wouldn't teach you like nutritional requirements of athletes at, at you know, chef school, for lack of a better word. No. So yeah, I guess you just learn it on the job. Do you just, you just pick it up over the years? Yeah. So, I mean, for me, I had, I had the interest in nutrition. So I knew, I knew the basics. I had done a few basic courses to sort of like get, get the hang around. I mean, also reading a whole lot of books on it, um, trying to understand the human, uh, like nutrition from a basic point of view you know mm. what are the needs like i was working a lot with special diets and so on and um yeah but you know being thrown into that world which was back in 2011 very old school this was what i, I think you would call it very old school nutrition the athletes the, the riders they were eating like it was no fat whatsoever mm. banned no fat got you know um high carb medium protein and then lean, lean, lean. They had the, the thought that if something had too much flavor, if it would, it would distort the, the digestive system. So it was very basic, very plain, like ketchup with everything. You know, this was, it was just, to me, it was such a crazy world to come into. I had this imagine, you know, I was imagining that coming into a pro team, these guys are pro, they eat the best, they know what's best for them. Um, and it just, it just was not like that. Um, so that was a big, like, I was like, whoa, this is what's going on here. Um, I was hired into the team uh, when they decided to change the whole nutritional profile uh, within the team. So when I started in cycling, they introduced something called the no needle policy. So the no needle policy was, um, was the rule that you could not poke a hole in a bike rider with a needle to give them IVs of uh, hydration, nutrition basically anything because of the whole um, track record of, of uh, maybe not so nutritious things uh, being given through uh, through a needle. <laughs> yeah. Um, 
and then all of a sudden they had to think differently. How do we, how do we actually uh, make sure that the riders, they get what they need through food? Like basically they have to eat all these things. And so I was hired in and they gave me, you know, um, I spoke to the team owner's wife who was um, a uh, sort of a nutritionist, not, not a, on a PhD level, but she had some really good philosophies and it was sort of that we incorporated um, which was eating a lot more whole foods, uh, cutting out refined sugars, trying to avoid uh, or cutting out completely all the artificial sweeteners, uh, adding like the cold pressed oils, like all these uh, good, like nutrient dense ingredients mm. instead of just white pasta, ketchup and chicken. Yeah. Um, and, and for me, I was, you know, I thought, oh, I'm a trained chef. I can, whatever you tell me to cook, I can cook that. That's not a problem. And the creativity within the realm that you give me, that's what I work with. Mm. Um, and, and so um, <laughs> to my big surprise, uh, the pro riders were, um, they were not having it. They were not eating. They didn't want to eat veggies. They didn't want to eat like anything um, uh, like whole food based. They were just, they were like, why are you doing this to us? You know, for them, I was the you know, I was the picture of change mm -hmm. and taking away everything they wanted it, which was lots of sugar, basically in all <laughs> meals and, and just pasta, pasta, pasta. Right. Um, so they didn't want to eat my food. And I was like, whoa, this is, this is, this is crazy. Right. You have people or guys that are, you know, it's, I would say they've worked their entire life to get their dream job. They're paid to do what they love the most, right? Mm. Pro riders. And, and they were just not, they were not having it at all. So, so the beginning of my work with the, with the, with the pro riders and the cycling team was basically a clash, right? I would cook all these, you know, quinoa, lots of uh, roasted veggies, all these like beautiful things, amazing dressings and everything that, that the team had in mind, like in mind to do. And the riders, they would sneak up to the hotel buffet and get the French fries <laughs> and like all the, the deep fried stuff. And like, basically, you know, be like, no, this is what I want. Don't, you're not telling me what, what I'm, what I'm eating. Yeah. So it was, you know, it was, um, it was a really rough start to, um, trying to crack the code of, you know, what's really good for them. What are their needs? What do we want to serve them? And what do they want to eat? Because for me, cracking the code was finding the balance between what is, you know, what is needed to perform at this high level that they perform at. But also you can serve the best food in the world, but if they don't want to eat it, it doesn't <laughs> matter, right? It's, exactly. It doesn't matter. So for me, it was basically the, the you know, the, the golden point was where the two circles meet. What do they want to eat and what's best for them? Mm. And then initially, you know, I had, to, it was a talking like push and pull, you know, talk a war sort of, um, and finding that circle in the beginning was maybe a little more towards what they were used to, you know, um, very simple, very basic, um, making it look like what they were, you know, what, what as white as possible, basically white rice, white pasta, all these things, mm -hmm. um, but trying to add slowly more and more nutritious ingredients and, and also gaining their trust because it's very much about gaining trust for athletes. So, mm -hmm. so it, it was, it was a very tricky start to, um, 
to get this going. Yeah, I love it. Wow. I could ask you so many things about that already, but I can imagine that once you get so conditioned to racing and performing at such a high level and winning at that level, you're like, I don't want to change a thing. And athletes get very fixated on their routine and they're like, this is my routine. This works for me. And I guess like, you don't know what you don't know, do you? It's like, it'd be a hard job for you to come in and go, you know what, this food could actually make you perform better. But they're like, you know, I'm at the top of my career. I'm not changing anything. Exactly. (laughs) So I imagine it would be a very hard pill to swallow and for you to come and want to do a 180 with the nutrition as well. But hats off to you, you did it. And and that's amazing. Yeah. I mean, it was, you know, I think, I think, um, the thing is when, when you're, um, when you're younger. So what I've seen in the athletes is when you are under 24, 23, your metabolism is just on fire, right? They can basically eat whatever they want and they can perform super well unless if they have any like dietary problems Mm -hmm. but most of them they can basically you know they can ride on uh, a bag of candy and they'll just go you know no sleep whatever they just go they're like rockets but as soon as they get a little bit older the metabolism changes that everything changes for them and also they've been under so much stress for so many years that the body needs more um, like basically care from the inside as well in order to recover. Mm. You know, as you start getting older, when you start uh, having injuries, it takes longer to get over them, it takes longer to fight these things. So that was sort of, you know, the, the, the thing that when a rider that's been used to eating pasta their entire life and staying super lean, all of a sudden looks in the mirror and they're like, wait a minute, this is a belly. What's going on, right? <laughs> yeah. And they're like, I'm eating like I've always done. Yeah. And, you know, it doesn't work like that. You have to think about where are you in life, you know? And, you know, you don't have to. I mean, one thing I've seen in bike riders is, you know, with that, they're like, wait, I have a belly. I need to starve myself now, right? That's the first thing because for them, that's logic. Eat less food, you lose weight. But the thing is also eat less food, you know? You don't have enough energy and then you can't, you know, you can't pull off what you need to do. Yeah. So I've seen these, you know, I've, I've seen these things in riders where they try to fix it themselves with sort of logic uh, of restriction mm-hmm. um, and basically picking what I would call like a w- women's magazines diet uh, advice um, of uh, cutting out certain food groups and stopping this and fasting and God knows how many things they can mix together. Um, and then being surprised that they bonk mm-hmm. and that they can't perform and that they're actually also gaining weight when they start to eat. Right. So, yeah, so it's, it's, um, I mean, yeah, it's, it's, it's such a crazy, it's such a crazy world, uh, within food because it's, it's fuel and energy. It's, uh, it's recovery. And it's also like this whole, uh, mental, um, what do you say? Uh, nursing sort of you know you can you can help push athletes with the help of food you know um but you can certainly also destroy a lot of things with food for athletes or they can if they choose the wrong things at the wrong time right Mm. so yeah so it's it's um sort of the puzzle uh within within the world of high performance to to make sure that yeah the 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 meals are you know timed right and you get the the proper nutrition uh, when you need it 
and then avoid all the shit uh, when you don't need a part of my friends. Because <laughs> um, there is a lot of shit in, in pro sports, right? Yeah. And it's so interesting how you mentioned that, you know, like when they're younger, they can perform at these high levels and they've got these like, you know, million dollar contracts and they're at the top of the game, but they're just eating crap, but they go like rockets. But I think about that with the general public as well. The amount of times that I have clients who go, I could eat whatever ever I wanted until I was like 20, 21, 22. And then I don't know what happened. I, I train the same, I eat the same, and I'm putting on all this weight. And I'm like, because your 30-year-old body isn't your 20-year-old body. Exactly. So even very similar concepts to you know athletes as well when they get to an age where it's like, I can't do what I've always done or I actually need to change it up a little bit now. Yeah. And then people think, you know, I'll just stop eating as much. I'll just cut out breakfast. I'll just cut out lunch. And that'll automatically help me to lose weight where it's like, we can be smarter with our nutrition and we can eat the same volume of food, but much less energy dense if we're eating more whole foods versus processed foods. So we don't have to feel starving all throughout the day. <laughs> exactly. I mean, that, that is, that is definitely one of the things that was so important to emphasize uh, for the guys that I worked with, you know, um, in the beginning of the year, from January, we would have training camps. And mm. um, typically when uh, this is after the off season, the riders have probably had about two months off. Some of them would just be on the sofa scooping in Ben and Jerry's uh, because, <laughs> because that's what, you know, it's, it's being a pro athlete is about, you know, um, being like, you know, training, uh, focusing on your diet, all these things all the time, like mm. restricting yourself in, in many ways. So they just, some of them just let go when they're off. Yeah. And so they would come to the training camps and the crazy thing is, and the funny thing and a little bit sad, maybe the tragic comic thing is they, they take the, the team photos in January. So they have to squeeze into the new uh, team jersey in January. And that's the picture that follow them the entire year. <laughs> so we would have guys, you know, choppy cheeks, little belly. Um, I mean, when I say little belly on a rider, it's tiny, but for them, it's a lot. Um, and, you know, they would be desperate, like, how do I like, you know, the, the bosses and the sports directors would be, you know, they would be like, you have to really take the serious and, and, you know, lean down in order to, to get ready for the first races in March. Um, and, you know, they see bike riders eat so much. They're very much motivated, uh, motivated by food and they think, oh my God, restriction. And so my job was to show them that, you know, it's not about restriction and sort of like, you don't have to eat less, but it can still be, you know, you can still feel full. You can feel satisfied. You don't have to feel like you're missing out as long as you just change things up and you choose, you know, um, like one thing for the other, right. Choose the like, uh, potatoes, like new potatoes, instead of the dense white pasta with ketchup. Like if you just pick that choice every time you will still feel full. And then with the amount of energy that they use, you know, it, it it's going to go very fast. And then they're going to be in the, in the race, uh, race weight, as you basically call it. And then that sort of links into my question for you. I saw this concept on your website, you've written, um, food is your fuel, your conditioning agent and your recovery. And I love that. And I'd love for you to talk our listeners through that concept and sort of what it means and how it applies to athletes, but also everyday people as well. Yeah. I mean, I think, I think, um, it's sort of like, I, I basically to describe it really simple, simply, you know, it's, it's your, your body is, uh, I mean, you, you have an engine that you have to keep running. Right. And, um, most people, if they have a really expensive car, 
they will only put the best, best, best fuel inside that car, right? You're not going to take your Ferrari down and like load it up with the deep fry, use deep frying oil, right? It just doesn't work that way. Yeah. Um, and, and, but the crazy thing is people don't always seem to think that about their own like machine and body, you know, um, in order mm -hmm. to perform at such high levels, you know, and also in order in general, in order to, to get through long working days, family life, uh, you know, activities, everything, um, you have to think about what you fuel your body with will basically be the output of what you can, what you can do. So, um, yeah, I think for me, it's definitely one thing that, um, is about, you know, the thing that I think about for athletes, uh, when, when I cook for them, when I, uh, you know, in, in, through my cookbook that I did with Dr. Stacy Simsey, raise when, like all these things, um, that's important is to make sure that the the fuel that you take into the food that you eat will give you a like like a long solid uh, foundation of energy mm -hmm. so that you will last throughout the day because i think what most people what i see in a lot of people uh, both in athletes but also i i know it from uh, you know from also being a chef uh, and and just you know getting through the day is if you start your day off with a high sugar breakfast right Mm -hmm. You know, you're, you you basically start with a peak in your blood sugar and insulin production, right? And then you crash. And then this is the same thing with athletes and gels. God forbid. I don't know if Stacy mentioned that in her podcasts, but yeah, she the, did. <laughs> the, the high, you know, uh, it's the devil's work in that way that you know, the, the sugary, the high sugary um, meals, snacks, gels, whatever. Well, it's I, I sort of explain it if you see the body as a you know a supercar. It's the nitro boost, right? Mm. That's where you get the, you know, the throttle, but it only works for a short amount of time. If you really need it, you can't run on it on a daily basis. Yeah. And this is what I see a lot of people going wrong with, right? The, the, the high sugary, um, breakfasts, like, uh, the high sugary, uh, midday snacks, like, uh, cake, candy at offices, all these things, they peak and crash all through the day. And it just makes you so tired in the end. And basically what I, what I want to do is, um, help people understand that they can eat something that triggers that satisfaction as what they want, you know, sweets in the morning through um, a wholesome, healthy breakfast meal that will keep them going without feeling that they're, they're crashing and they need, need that, like, you know, sugar pick me up throughout the day. Mm. Um, because everyone knows, I think if you don't starve yourself, so if you're full, you are less tempted to fall into the the biscuit uh, the biscuit uh, you know um, box throughout the day. Yeah, and this is this is definitely something that that I really emphasize, especially for the riders. I mean, the breakfast table that I would provide for them was it was enormous, right? Um, we would do a lot of oatmeal based things, you know, slow release uh, carb um, base, and then. Uh, typically with eggs or some sort of protein added to it. So protein with all meals to keep full. Um, and then these like nutrient dense uh, extras like nut butters, uh, different nuts and seeds, um, a bit of fruit as well. But like basically the breakfast meal for the riders was so, so, so important in order to be able to go through these six or seven hour long uh, stages that they were going through. 
same goes for the chef at the tour, for example. I mean, you know, we would wake up as the first and go to bed as the last. If I didn't get a proper breakfast, mm. you know, I would crash throughout the day and I would not last. And and so I, I think it's the, I mean, it, it, the same applies to to everyday people. I would just say the difference between athletes and 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 non-athletes is definitely the amount. Yeah. <laughs> the amount of food that you eat. Um, yeah. I mean, a bike rider would typically eat three to four times the amount that, that a normal uh, person should eat. So that's, that's a slight difference, but, mm. but the, the combination of these things, these things are, you know, the same. And then to talk about the recovery, of course, because, you know, the recovery is so important for, mm. for an athlete in terms of timing after the a performance. If you don't time that recovery meal uh, straight after you've uh, you've basically been on the bike or the rider, um, then uh, you are going to feel it for days after. Yeah. So this is this in, in cycling, like you think about everything is minimal gains, right? So if you can get the recovery meal in within this uh, twenty to thirty minute window after your ride has ended, you will feel a lot better. You will recover faster, and you'll not feel sore in your muscles uh, and ache like basically aching uh, for the next day. And the problem with that is, uh, or the good thing with that is, of course, if you can eat, it's easy. Mm. But a lot of them don't have any appetite when they finish the race. So they sort of have to force feed themselves in order to get that stuff in. Um, but it's so crucial because you know if your opponent doesn't do it, you know that he's going to feel he's going to feel it in his legs the day after. He's going to feel so sore. And that's where you have the chance to basically perform better and this is the same thing i think in 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 everyday life for for non-athletes um i think most people don't think about like a full long work day and family life is a, sort of like a race as well mm. and if you don't nurture like your your body and um basically cover your needs and think about you also need to recover you also need to sleep after a full long day of being busy uh, and performing also mentally um, you're going to crack and you're going to crash and you're not going to be able to uh, sustain like this high paced life that, that most people are living. Mm. And I love that analogy. Just when you think about, you know, the everyday sort of mom, dad, family, working family, kids, that sort of thing, they get to the end of the day, they get the kids in bed and they're so exhausted. They just kind of like collapse on the couch and they don't move for the next few hours. And when you think about it, food and nutrition and just those holistic pillars of a healthy life, like trying to focus on your sleep, not staying up till then 11 PM and watching Netflix. Cause you're so exhausted. You just need to like relax, but actually getting to bed that little bit earlier, prepping some healthy breakfast for the next morning. So you've got something when the kids are yelling at you, you're running late to school, you can just grab and go something nutritious. So I love that analogy that even athletes are just like, you know, everyday people as well. And we should be fueling and recovering just like our athletes do as well. Because as you mentioned, athlete food is the same that we should be eating for a healthy lifestyle. It's just a, the portions are very different. And sometimes the timing yeah. is a little bit more specific, but really yeah. it's the same sort of food, <laughs> isn't it? It's good, nourishing, whole food nutrition. Absolutely right. Yeah, absolutely. Now, being a chef for some of the world's top athletes, um, I'm sure you have a, a brilliant understanding of how to create delicious yet very healthy tasting meals. What would you say would be your top sort of two, three, four tips for our listeners at home in terms of how to make like healthy food taste good. Like a lot of people say to me, I love this type of pasta, but you know, all the ingredients in it aren't good for me. How would I, how would I adapt that? Or how can I eat this food and, and still lose weight? So I think the the most important thing is definitely, um, is definitely, uh, 
remembering to incorporate um, fats in in all your meals, like the healthy fats, because fat has a thing not not only uh, from a uh, nutritious nutritious point of view, but also from a, a, like um, a satiating uh, point of view. You know, Definitely. when you eat something with fat. It, uh, it it makes you feel satisfied and it triggers mm. that thing of like, mm, okay, I am actually good now, right? If you restrict the fat, if you don't have the fat, uh, it's sort of like you can eat and you can eat and you can eat, but you never really get that like, mm, I'm, I'm good now kind of feeling. So um, w- what I experience, and as I explained, you know, in, in the beginning, what I experienced a lot is definitely the, uh, the being scared of fats. Mm. <laughs> so incorporating the fats in and and i use a lot of cold pressed oils and i'm a huge fan of making vinaigrettes for everything and fresh herbs so like for me it's all about you know um if you are you know if you're unsure how to cook uh, veggies a really good rule is you know um and i think this you can basically do this with all veggies i call it the world's easiest way to cook veggies it's to it's to basically steam roast them mm-hmm. so it's it's a very simple method uh, and this way when you when you steam and roast something you caramelize the surface you get like a natural sweetener that is in like is in the vegetables when they when they sort of fry but without like too much uh, oil and then when you steam them you keep all these uh, nutrients in and so you get all the amazing flavors combined with like this caramelized um, amazing uh, extra part uh, of, of eating veggies and the trick that i used for for athletes was basically that and um, i'll give you the simple breakdown of it so cold pan like a tablespoon and a half of olive oil on sprinkle salt and then you slice your veggies like broccoli or cauliflower or um uh, celery anything uh, onions as well mm-hmm. basically anything that you would like sort of big chunks and you put it like cutting the cutting uh, side face down and then you add a lid on it and you put it on medium heat and as it heats up the vegetables they release their uh, their moisture and their liquid and that starts to steam and then at the same time the the little bit of oil will start to caramelize on the bottom and because there's salt it will release the water in the veggies and that will help make this amazing caramelized surface and that is i mean the best way to cook any vegetable it's like keeping and enhancing the flavors in it um, i'm not a big fan of boiling vegetables you know mm. um, the flavor disappears you pull out all the nutrients in the water yeah like all these things so like trying to keep it simple and not mixing you know um not mixing too many things and chopping it up too small if you are having a hard time eating veggies like i found that in the bike riders were you know if they could see what it was and it looked familiar and it tasted my my theory is if it tastes close to cake they will eat it so this caramelized <laughs> vegetable thing like caramelized cauliflower caramelized broccoli and when i say caramelized there's no sugar involved it happens by itself with with the carbohydrates that are in the vegetables um it tastes amazing and and that is just you know it's such a simple thing to do but uh, having the respect uh, for the vegetable and making it so delicious by itself and then adding uh, like fresh herbs and vinaigrettes to it basically you know you can make an amazing meal out of anything you have in your fridge and then you can say you can add the carbs that you need to it on the side and the protein that you want so it becomes a very flexible way of cooking um, so that's definitely one one way of that i think is is the the uh, 
the greatest way to have uh, to have people eat veggies. And trust me, so I've worked with so many grown men that refuse to eat vegetables. <laughs> I tell you, they yeah. were they were just not having it. Um, but this way, I found they were like, "Wow, I love this broccoli," and they were asking for it. They were like, "Can we have this broccoli?" And I'm like, "Wow." You know, this is this is definitely the way to go. Trying to think about touching all the, the flavor points, so the sweetness, the saltiness, uh, the acidity, uh, fattiness—all these things that trigger uh, satisfaction. Mm-hmm. I think that's that's the key to it. Absolutely. Um, yeah, the recipe is also in my book, and I'll send it to you so you can share it with the listeners. Because seriously, that is the easiest and the best way to cook veggies for sure. That sounds amazing because I get so many things from people at home and they go, you know, I love, I love all these sorts of foods, but veggies are the one thing I can't get my head around or, you know, I don't mind veggies, but they just don't taste good. So I don't eat that many of them. And I'll just admit, I've, I've never cooked vegetables in that way ever. Again, I'm not a fan of boiling veggies either. I, f- I feel like they just go so limp and they don't really taste that great. I normally roast them, but sometimes, you know, I'll get distracted and I'll over roast them and they're a little bit dry and that sort of thing. But I love how you're sort of steaming them at the same time as caramelizing them. So they're nice and soft and moist. And they're not too over dried out or that sort of thing. I absolutely have to try that. Sounds amazing. <laughs> yeah. And then the vinaigrettes with it, because it's just, it becomes, basically you can eat it hot and you can also eat it cold. So what I normally would do is take a whole cauliflower, split it, like basically cut it in eight wedges and then on a big pan, mm. you know, with a lid on um, that, you know, if I don't eat it all, I'll put it in the fridge and then I have something that I can add for my lunch and all these things. And the other thing that I wanted to say to your question is, Prepping ahead, um, kind of like thinking as a chef in the kitchen without um, mm. without it being complicated. So if you're cutting cabbage or uh, a cauliflower anyway, you know, just cut it all up and put it in boxes in your fridge. Because if you have, if you basically have prepped like you would do in a restaurant, all the veggies are cut. It's a lot easier to come home and like and do that quick stir fry sort of thing or steam thing, you know. Because I think what most people can relate to is after a long day of work, you can't be asked to start cutting and chopping and peeling and all this this work with it. Yeah. So I recommend, and I've really done that to, man, to a lot of people, uh, even my mom has started doing it, <laughs> um, slicing, cutting, you know, slice up when, when, you, when you have the cabbage out, slice it all up, put it in a box. It will last for, you know, four or five days in a container. Uh, same thing with onions and so on. And all of a sudden you have all the little pieces of a puzzle to create an amazing meal in like no time. And that to me is the the key in order to avoid the, oh, I'm too tired. I'm just going to call for takeout uh, or I'm going to do something that's super easy, just pasta and uh, Parmesan cheese, you know, having it all like prepared. And if you're cooking, like for me, if you're cooking rice, cook more rice than you need because Leftover rice is so easy to incorporate into something new. Breakfast pancakes, like uh, different types of stir fry. There's so many things you can do with the leftover things mm. um, that, it, and it, it goes for anything. You know, I'm a, a big fan of just cooking way too much so that you basically can prep for lunch or for snacks and you can like reuse it um, because it saves you time. There's no need to, to, to cook the same thing two days in a row if you can cook double uh, and just reuse it. I'm I'm a big fan of that. So um, that's definitely one of my my best advices is like prep ahead. If you're cutting it all, uh, think like a chef, prep all your veggies, and then the assembly takes no time and you can have an amazing dinner for your entire family in under 10 minutes. 
Yeah, absolutely. I'm a big fan of that as well. I'm a big fan of meal prepping, but again, I do have a lot of clients who say, I don't like to meal prep. So I say, well, let's just do a partial prep. Let's just get the carbs cooked or get the protein cooked or chop up all the veggies. So you're like halfway there. And I think that's awesome as well, because again, if you've got chopped up veggies in the fridge and you're like, if you don't have any snacks prepared, you're going to go to the cupboard and start snacking on, you know, chips or nuts or not that nuts are bad, but people tend to overdo it and they're quite energy dense or they're going to get some chocolate out. But if you've got fresh veggies chopped up in the fridge, you got a thing, a hummus, you got some salsa. Perfect. You've got a wonderful snack ready to go with just, you know, and the, the crunch again, you get that satisfaction as well. Mix it with a really nice dip like tzatziki or um, some hummus or something like that. And again, you've got a wonderful, easy snack choice. Plus you've got extras for dinner. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And I mean, I think one thing um, that I really truly will advise most people to do is if you can't be asked to stand in the kitchen and, and cutting everything by hand, invest in a food processor because you can just, you can just, you know, uh, shred and slice things so fast. And, you know, it's basically taken out half an hour, maybe twice a week or once a week, uh, just cutting these things up and then it's there, you know, and you don't have to think about it because, um, a lot of people that I know, you know, they're not maybe so much into this whole, you know, they like eating food, but they're not into cooking it. So it just has to be easy. Mm-hmm. And um, and I think that that is a really good investment or a Japanese mandolin. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, that one's good for slicing everything. Make it easy for yourself. Yeah. And if you hate being in the kitchen and that's that barrier, I say to clients, if you're happy to spend the money, go and buy pre-cut vegetables. Yeah. There are so many options in the supermarkets, particularly over here in Australia where I am, um, of like pre-cut carrots, pre-cut beans. Like they're there. You just basically pull them straight into the wok (laughs) and they're ready to go. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Now in terms of, I guess, coming up with such unique recipes, I guess every cyclist would be different. They've got a, you've got a range of different body types. You've got a range of different people with different requirements. You've got different allergies, different intolerances, different taste preferences. How do you, how do you cater for all of that? How do you come up with unique recipes that keep your riders happy, but also cater for all of the different things that because each athlete must be so different sometimes. Yeah, I mean, there's and different nationalities, not to forget, because yeah, people they have their preferences for sure. Mm-hmm. You know, typically at the big at the big tours, we would have nine guys uh, on uh, on a, on a race, and um, it could easily be from nine different countries. So for me, um, I found that. Um, the best way to sort of cater for for all these different palettes and, and nationalities were was to sort of try and uh, be creative within um, within like having the proteins with like uh, some veg and so on, so that it was easy to assemble the meal themselves. So I would keep the the, the dense carbs um, aside. I would never mix meats and carb in a dish and put it on the table. Mm-hmm. You know, I would it would be up to them in order to choose. Do I want uh, the potato mash or the quinoa or the uh, brown rice? So like they had the option of of combining because as you also mentioned, there was a lot of different dietary needs. Um, some had uh, intolerances, some just didn't like something. So um, I would typically set up sort of um, a buffet uh, um, where they had the option of two to three different types of carbs, dense carbs. Uh, there would be a um, like uh, a dish of sort of like vegetarian or like roast vegetable serving, mm-hmm. um, and then uh, a raw serving as well if they wanted some. Some some really like that more. It was more like the feel and the taste of it. 
um, because when you're doing all these long stages, the raw veggies can be really tough uh, on the digestion. Um, so, you know, trying to like break it down to them and then having two types of protein. So typically always a chicken dish because <laughs> most nationalities and uh, uh, dietary needs and so on, they can all agree on chicken. That's sort of like the the animal protein that everybody likes. Very true. Uh, and then I would have an alternative to that. So that would be, um, that could be yeah, fish or lamb or um, an egg dish or something like that. Um, so for me, it was putting out the pieces of the puzzle. Um, and with the meat, obviously I would marinate it. I would, I would add some veggies, but keeping the carbs aside mm -hmm. and the, the uh, like the the dressings and the vinaigrettes aside so that they could combine it how they felt was right for them because it's also um it is very different some of the riders were very much more into you know they they wanted a higher protein intake than others so they know their own engines best and it was important for me that um, in the beginning i started plating things and i found out that was a nightmare i would put a plate on it and the first thing a rider would see is panic can i not have more than uh, that's i'd see on this plate um and that was not the case but it just created an unnecessary panic of them thinking oh my god this is what i can eat um and they you know immediately would go into the reaction of i perform better with this and this and this and this and i thought okay <laughs> let's not start every night with a discussion let's just make it as easy for everybody uh, to assemble what they need um and also i had a lot you know we we uh, I really strive to do um, as much wheat and gluten-free um, uh, meals as possible. We did have Italian riders, uh, and it's sort of like taking away their pasta. Uh, is sort of like telling them not to breathe. So, um, you know, it would be on the side and it would be an option, but I would do everything in my power to make the alternative carbohydrate sources more interesting. Um, in order for them to pick that because uh, we did have, you know, we did have issues with, um, with the bloating and, and, and so on, so on, um, from, from some of the guys eating wheat. Um, so, yeah, so, so it, it was sort of like this way of like accommodating everyone. And then of course, dialogue, right. I would talk to them. Uh, they could always request what they wanted it. Um, I couldn't promise anything, but I would try and get what I could get, you know, um, because I also know that creating these uh, sometimes like uh, comfort foods for the specific riders could help them get over if they had a crash, all these things. So, you know, nursing them mentally with the comfort food that they liked without compromising the nutritional uh, quality um, of the meal. That was sort of my, um, my goal. Um, and then, of course, it's a, it's a trial and error. Sometimes I would think that, you know, they're going to love it. And they're like, oh, it doesn't taste like my mom's paella. And I'm like, I'm sorry, you know. So, um, but the, the, you know, I made an effort and they respected that. So it was uh, definite. Sometimes they gave me their mom's recipes, which was amazing and also terrifying, right? Yeah. To try and, um, and, and uh, take a classic recipe. And what I do is I look at it and then I, I, uh, I sort of like transfer it into the, the food philosophy that I work from. So, that means obviously substituting some things and so on. Um, but then sometimes it worked out really well. And that was obviously amazing. But yeah, so it's, it's, sort of, it's, it's a big puzzle in that way. But I think the freedom of being able to combine the meals as best works for you is, is key.
not mixing too many things yeah. uh, together from the beginning. Yeah, agreed. Totally agreed. And that's um, probably my number one tip when people sort of message me on social media and say, hey, I've got really fussy kids or, you know, my partner won't eat this or my kids don't like that. We talk about it in terms of like a buffet style dinner or a buffet style lunch. And it's like, just cook a bunch of options, put it on the table and let them sort of have choices versus putting it on the kid's plate and forcing them to kind of eat it. They feel very overwhelmed, but the more times they see it in front of them and they see everybody else, you know, eating the vegetables, the more likely they are over time to want to try some of them too, rather than just giving them a plate and saying, eat your dinner, um, which is sort of the, the very, the, sort of the generation, how we grew up. It's like you, you ate whatever's on your plate, whereas the, the evidence around, you know, feeding kids and that sort of thing's changing. And it's very much letting sort of the children decide, you know, how much will I have and that sort of thing. So I really like that idea of more the buffet style and everyone gets to choose what they want. And I think, I mean, just just saying it's funny, it's kids, uh, kids and pro riders are very similar in many ways. <laughs> and it's the, it's the trust you got to gain, right? Because what I found is if you cut things, like if I cut things up too small and I mix it together and they couldn't see what it was, Mm. They wouldn't trust, like they were, this was like, hmm, you're trying to trick me into eating something that I don't know what is and they wouldn't <laughs> touch it. So yeah. I would, you know, I, I had a rule that obviously they had to be able to see, like, this is also why I'm talking about this whole steam roasting of vegetables. You know, you can see what it is. It doesn't feel threatening that you're getting these things served. Um, and then my other thing was the, the, you know, uh, two thirds, uh, ingredients that they were comfortable with and that they knew and that they liked and then one third introducing new things because i knew if i made like um like a a dish where i had uh, two things they really loved that could be quinoa and blueberries for example i knew that if i snuck something new inside still they could see what it is like this was the way one of the, the ways I, I had them eating broccoli was the caramelized broccoli if I snuck that in there, they would be too lazy to pick it out um, <laughs> because they wanted the quinoa and they wanted the blueberries. Um, and then they would automatically say, ah, they would eat it. And they're like, wait, this is amazing. And then all of a sudden the broccoli was on the safe side. And then the vocabulary of food that I could serve them that they were comfortable with got bigger and then introducing slowly. So, you know, that was how I got around uh, also picky eating because there's a lot of picky uh, eating in pro sports as well. So I think that was that was a very good way. And I, I, I believe that that applies to kids as well. It's the trust of being able to see what it is, uh, not feeling like you're deceived um, and it's weird. Absolutely. Yeah. And regular exposure to it as well. You know, the more times they see it, the more sort of comfortable they feel with it over time. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> now we've had um, Dr. Stacey Sims on the podcast before. It's actually one of our top rated episodes. So if you're listening at home and you haven't gone and, and heard Dr. Sims talk all about um, why females should be eating, training and performing differently to our male counterparts, please go back and listen to those episodes. We've done two together and I know that you're both work colleagues and friends. Um, so I'd love for you to tell our listeners a little bit about more how you and Dr. Stacey work together because as I understand it, she's the sort of the science behind the nutrition and you're the execution of the nutrition. So I'm fascinated to see how you both sort of work in the field together. Yeah. So I met Dr. Stacey Sims when I worked uh, with the pro team in cycling uh, back in 2013. So um, she came in uh, to the team and um, was uh, sort of like, to me, you know, we had had a bunch of different nutritionists and um, she came in and everything, you know, her whole uh, 
philosophy on nutrition and all the science uh, and evidence-based science that that she brought to the table was you know everything that i believed in so first of all it was it was uh, really uh, amazing to know that you know the 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 philosophy that i bring to the table is you know it's it's actually it's actually right and stacy was the proof of that and so we started working together i would you know i would get all these questions from the writers uh, in regards to everything timing of food can i eat this can i not eat this can i you know go on this diet all these things and <laughs> stacy would be my ping pong in terms of answering them right because um you know i don't have a phd in nutrition but I do have, uh, or I did have Stacy, and I do have now, especially uh, by my side to help me answer these questions. Um, and so we started working together and I could see, you know, uh, the writers got more confident in, in the answers and the changing of the food and the, the, the menus because they could have the, the answers that gave, you know, gave purpose and meaning to what they were doing. Um, and that's sort of like this, this, uh, this, um, this partnership with Stacy, I, I traveled over to uh, to California to her when she lived there, and um, uh, this was uh, at the end of the season in thirteen, uh, and asked her if she wanted to partner up with me because, uh, as I mentioned in the beginning, um, I really wanted the the nutritional background as well, but in order to to do that, you know, it would take decades for me to get to the point where I would become Stacy and also the the hands on. Yeah. And so Stacy, on the other hand, was also, you know, she was uh, the brain and the science behind everything, but she needed the the creativity and the execution of it, you know, the hands and like, uh, you know, this is the philosophy and this is how you got to do things. And then uh, I would show in practical, this is how you can do it. Mm -hmm. You know, this is how you eat it. This is how it's going to taste good. Um, and so it was a natural thing for us to to team up. And I, I and that was actually uh, the start of Eat, Raise, Win. Uh, the cookbook that we wrote together, um, uh, that we we basically laid the foundation of that, and our company that we have together as well. Um, so yeah, so working with her was was an eye opener for sure. Because um, I mean, and it still is every day. You know, uh, I'm so privileged. I get to I get to talk to her um, and uh, understand the the physiology and how things work especially within hydration nutrition all these things um mm. and it's yeah it's it's um for me it, it's definitely the thing where um i help people become confident in the kitchen based on the science that that she puts on the table um yeah so it's it's a it's a it's a really good partnership in in, in that sense um that you know we, we ping pong off each other i get a lot of questions on how to eat and I really try and avoid, uh, you know, I'm not a nutritionist, so I would never make food plans uh, of such. I always recommend people to go see a dietitian and a nutritionist, um, and then from there, help them on how do I, like, how do I take this information and put it into practice? So that's, that's also how Stacy and I, we work, um, you know, that's, that's, that's the nature of the game. Love it. It's like two perfect pieces of a pieces of a puzzle coming together and locking in really, really nicely together. Yeah. I mean, I, I think what, what I saw a lot, what I've seen a lot um, in, in sports has, you know, many nutritionists, uh, they are very strict about how uh, athletes should eat, uh, but they don't really think about uh, how they're going to make them eat it. Right. Yeah. They're like, you need to eat <laughs> this uh, amount of carbs. You need to get 
uh, so many veggies in and this and this and that. And when you tell that to a pro athlete, they're looking and they're like, how am I going to eat, you know, all these veggies and so on. And it's just, it's, it becomes the impossible task to, to bring that into life and making it delicious and nutritious and want actually wanting to eat it because in theory, yes, everything in theory is amazing, right? You can, you can theory your way out of so many things, <laughs> but if you can't put it into praxis, you know, uh, it just won't work. Mm. And that is definitely what I, what I saw uh, from the pro athletes, you know, um, they just didn't know what to do with things because yeah. I wasn't with them uh, all year round. You know, I wasn't at their house. Their wives would text me and call me, you know, before we had the cookbooks come out. I had another uh, cookbook or I have another cookbook, brand to cookbook. Um, you know, uh, my husband's asking about how did you do this in this dish? Because he really likes that. And that works for him because it's, it's all about, I think, um, uh, interpreting, you know, the dietitian and the nutritionist's words into something edible and something you can relate to and something that is long lasting and durable um so that that's uh yeah i think um th that's that's the that's the good click and the perfect match with stacy and i because it, it becomes all of a sudden you know easy and approachable and all my recipes are made uh, with the thought of a pro rider being able to make it at home themselves and also my mom because then sort of bulletproof in terms of questions <laughs> love it and love how it. to do it um and Easy tell us to do. yeah tell us a little bit more about the book like who would it be appropriate for obviously like pro athletes it's wonderful for could um you know a mum with kids at home be making that to feed you know her kids her grandparents that sort of thing is it for sort of I like to call them everyday athletes but also just normal people as well everyone can sort of use the book Yes, I mean everyone can use the book. It's uh, it's really delicious, nutritious food, and it's uh, it's it's put together so that you can uh, you can eat your way through the seasons and your activity levels. Uh, so if you are not a uh, pro athlete uh, riding two hundred miles a day, uh, but you're a busy uh, busy um, mom uh, with a job and uh, kids and everything. Uh, it will still create, like, it will still give you a lot of uh, good inspiration and recipes for, you know, how to combine these uh, nutritious meals that's going to make you feel better and perform better. Just eat less. And, uh, you know, basically, St St Stacy has the amazing intro on, um, you know, how to adapt to the seasons and your activity level. So basically, just, you know, Stick stick to a, um, uh, a less active athlete in the book and then you'll be uh, completely fine because it's just food and it's real food and it's easy to make. So, yeah, there's lots of uh, good things to dig into for, uh, for non-athletes as well. Wonderful. I'll have to check it out. And then finally, you've got this amazing new Amazon series, which I is still on my to-do list to watch, Eat, Race, Win. Um, that's out at the moment, isn't it? So can you tell listeners a little bit more about that, how you got your own Amazon series? That's incredible as well. And I'm so excited to watch it. Yeah, it was, that was a, a crazy, uh, that was a crazy uh, uh, phone call uh, I got. Um, my first cookbook, Rento cookbook, is based on uh, a full Tour de France, so a three-week stage race um, uh, meals. So showing how you can eat whole foods and amazing uh, uh, ingredients throughout the three weeks of the Tour de France. So that cookbook um, was uh, landed on, basically landed on uh, an American producer's table. And um, and he contacted me and said, uh, we want to make a show based on your cookbook. 
um, traveling through France and sourcing ingredients. I mean, France is one of the most amazing countries when it comes to ingredients and um, like uh, food in general. Mm -hmm. uh, so, so they wanted to document um, my work within uh, within the pro uh, cycling world on how do you get through a whole base? It's the, the, the biggest sporting event uh, on the planet, yeah. yearly biggest sporting event. And how do you get through this uh, almost one month long um, race uh, whilst cooking and sourcing? And, you know, what's the food philosophy uh, behind it? And so they followed me for uh, for a whole tour um, where, you know, I, uh, I explain uh, how I try to incorporate the the feel of the local ingredients and giving the riders the experience of the areas that they're in because when they're on the bikes they're so focused they are just you know they're thinking about performing and very so often they don't actually get to enjoy and and feel uh, that they're in most some of the most amazing places in the world um so i try to incorporate the regional food um flavors and ingredients into their meals in order to give them that side of things and then also it's very much about um, the motivational factor uh, that food is, you know, food is a comfort, food is a motivation in terms of performance, right? Um, when you feel like you're not punished, I mean, for me, it's it's about eating right is not a punishment. And so this, this food can give you, um, you know, it can give you that uh, feeling of home after a long, long day. They're sitting around a table. Um, and it's the moment when they sit as a family and and connect. So food is a lot more than just nutrition. Uh, it's also this uh, social has the social aspect to it and this motivational aspect to it. So it's very much about um, how food can trigger things in many ways and how you can use food to uh, to um, uh, motivate and boost performance both mentally as well as um, physically. Absolutely. I can't wait to watch it. It's very nice. As soon as I finish my, um, I'm sort of addicted to our Selling Sunsets, the, the real estate show on Netflix at the moment. As soon as I finish that one, that one is on my list. So for our listeners at home, it's on Amazon, isn't it? And it's called Eat, Race, Win. Yeah. Yes. So exciting. All right, Hannah. Well, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. It's been an absolute pleasure. And I'd love for you to tell listeners where they can reach out to you in terms of your website and your social medias. Yeah. So um, I have a website. It's hannahgrant.com. And I have, um, I have a lot of recipes on there. Uh, you can get my books, Eat, Raise, Win, uh, that I wrote with Dr. Stacey Sims and the Grant to Cookbook. I'll give you guys a discount code um, for the show so you can get 20% off the Eat, Raise, Win book. Amazing. Um, and as well on uh, on Instagram, my name is Daily Stews and I post a lot of amazing, uh, nutritious, uh, funky and fun dishes and uh, race snacks and so on um, that you can uh, cook along with. Um, yeah, so the, that's uh, that's the uh, that's the access points uh, of me, and um, yeah, there's a lot of cool stuff happening. We're launching a, a members club where we're going to do a lot of live cooking shows. So uh, we're basically cooking with people from all around the world um, live, uh, and uh, and people can ask questions and so on. So it's really fun. It's going to be lots of fun. Um, and uh, yeah, dig into it. Amazing. So many amazing things coming up. So guys, make sure you go and give Hannah a follow on social media. We'll make sure you link, um, I'll link your socials in the show notes. And in terms of the discount code, I'm sure our listeners at home would love to jump on and grab your cookbook. Um, will you let me know what that code is and I can pop it in the show notes? We'll call it Leanne Ward and um, I'll give you the link for, uh, for the shop. Yeah. 
Wonderful. And the listeners can grab that one off your website, can't they? The books. They can. Absolutely. Yes. Wonderful. Thank you so much, Hannah. That's very generous. And I can't wait for our, our listeners to go and, and check you out and follow you on social media. Thank you so much for coming on the podcast. It's been a pleasure. Thank you so much for having me.